You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Welcome back to The Way Home Podcast, everyone. This is Dan Darling. I'm glad to be back with you this week. Before we get to our conversation, I just want to tell you about a really cool resource that we have for free that you can download from my website at danieldarling.com. It's a free downloadable guide called How to Read the News. I don't know about you, but for me, it seems like there's news streaming in to our lives from everywhere on our timelines, what people are sharing on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and every social media thing, talk radio, podcasts, magazines, newspapers, if people still read newspapers. It's just coming in from everywhere, alerts on our phone. How do we read the news as Christians? How do we process the news? How do we make sure we're getting true information? How do we make sure that we're not just reading stuff that confirms our biases, right? I'm a conservative politically. My tendency is going to be to read things that only make and confirm that people who I agree with are good and right people and everyone else is wrong. You may be on the other side of the spectrum. So how do we read and also how do we read from a biblical worldview? Well, if you're interested in this, you can go to my website. You can download it for free. It's called How to Read the News. Give me your email. Uh, You can sign up for my bi-weekly newsletter called One Little Word, and we'll send you this a wonderful resource for free. So go to danieldarling.com and download How to Read the News. Okay, let's join our conversation. Welcome to the Way Home Podcast, my friends. I'm so glad you're joining me today. I'm Dan Darling, Senior VP at the National Religious Broadcasters, as well as a pastor here in Nashville and author. If you're discovering me for the first time, I hope you enjoy this podcast. We like to just sit down and have good conversations with interesting people, Bible teachers, authors, leaders in the public square, and anyone else that I just think is interesting and would love to ask questions of. Well, today we're going to have Lisa Turkhurst. Uh, I'm sure you know who Lisa is. Lisa is a New York Times bestselling author of several books. She's the president, CEO, founder of Proverbs 31 Ministries. What I like about Lisa, what I'm going to have her on to talk about is her own vulnerability about some of the trials and suffering she has endured. Lisa was very public a few years ago about some difficulties in her marriage and some uh, trials that her and her husband went through and and in a way that I think really helped a lot of people go through their own marriage difficulties. Well, she is back with a new book called How to Forgive When You Can't Forget. Uh, She talks about the forgiveness God had to put in her heart toward her husband who had hurt her deeply. And just speaking to people who've endured really difficult hurts, there's a lot of myths about forgiveness. I think sometimes we collapse the idea of forgiveness, which God compels us to do because God in Christ has forgiven us. I think sometimes we collapse the idea of forgiveness into ideas like reconciliation and trust and forgetting, and those are all different concepts. Sometimes you've been told, I've been told, we should forgive and forget. But the truth is, we forgive because we can't forget. And I think of the story of Joseph. Uh, His brothers betrayed him. Years later, when he forgave his brothers, he didn't forget he'd been thrown into a pit and sold human trafficked into Egypt. He didn't forget that, but he was able to 
summon the forgiveness because of his faith in God. So I think you're going to enjoy this very candid conversation with Lisa Turkhurst. Well, I'm really delighted to have uh, on the Way Home podcast, uh, Lisa Turkhurst. Lisa, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So I have followed your career for a long time now uh, through Proverbs 31 Ministries, but also just through your own writing and books. And um, I do want to talk about the substance of your latest book about forgiveness but before we do that, I, I would just like for you to share a little bit about how you sort of came into this ministry, uh, writing and speaking. Uh, you also mentor a lot of uh, writers and speakers as well and have helped launch many of them. So how, how did this, was this something that you've always enjoyed doing or something you realized late in life that you wanted to write and speak? It's a great question. So I remember when I was in elementary school, the greatest days were when the teachers would assign book reports or uh, some kind of presentation that we had to do, um, like a speech or whatever. And so those were my most favorite days. And so when I look back on it, I think, you know, I I always love to read, I always love to write, and I always love to speak. So that probably would have clued me into a career possibility, but I didn't know you could grow up to be a speaker and a writer. (laughs) I I thought of different roles, you know, you could be a nurse, you could be a doctor, but not a speaker and a writer. Um, But as I got into my mid-20s, and I um, I was married, I had my first baby, And I guess I was staying home with my daughter, but I was really feeling that desire to do something also with, um, with these gifts and talents that I had. And a friend of mine was starting a little newsletter called Proverbs 31. And so she asked me if I would help her. So I joined forces with her, but probably the most interesting part of the story is although I would have told you at that time that I knew God, I really did not understand what it meant to have a relationship. And over the next two to three years, just being involved with the ministry in its infancy of Proverbs 31, I finally started to understand what it meant to really have your identity in Christ and really have a relationship with God. So when people say, you know, what's one of your favorite testimonies from your ministry? I can honestly say it was my own. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And did you have any idea that Proverbs 31 ministries would be this thing, this big thing that God did, you know, when you were starting out doing that? No, I could have never imagined it. And, you know, so many times people will say, you know, Lisa, think back and like what in those early days of Proverbs 31, what were some of your one-year goal, five-year goals, 10-year goals? And I've always resisted doing that because once I came to understand what it meant to have a relationship with God, I just made the decision. I can either follow goals or I can truly follow God. And so, of course, people now, the ministry is 27 years old and we have a 
$10 million a year budget. So it's a very large organization with about 70 employees. But I know there are people at my organization who are really good about planning goals. But if they if they ask me to participate in those meetings, I will still say now what I said back then. Our job is to be obedient to God. God's job is everything else. So if we walk in obedience today, God will direct us where the ministry needs to go tomorrow. That's a great perspective. You know, um, I I just recently finished reading a biography of J.I. Packer. And one of the things that struck me about him is that he was asked at the end of his life, well, how did you become so prolific? All this writing, all these books. And he's like, well, I people asked me to do it. And I just felt like I could c- contribute. And this is what the Lord had me do. In other words, he didn't have this masterful life plan to do all this. He just used his gifts and did what was in front of him. And it seems like there's so much pressure today, pressure and or I think desire, even among Christians, to kind of be a thing, to build a platform and all that conversation, which I mean, God does obviously give people platforms that could be used for good, but there's this kind of wanting to be a thing. And how how do you combat that today? You know, how do you just kind of be faithful and in the present and serve where God has called us. I mean, what, what advice do you give to people in ministry in that way? Well, I think there's two things that I would say. Number one is when we get to heaven, I think we're going to be surprised at how the big things are small and the small things are big. In other words, I don't think I'm going to get to heaven and God's going to go, wow, you really built a large organization and touched millions of people, I think he's going to say, like, remember that day that, you know, you uh, delayed that meeting or you canceled that uh, thing that you had going on just so you could go and take your daughter to coffee and just sit and talk about her broken heart? That was an epic day. That's the day you really served the Lord well. Or remember that day where you were backstage and the gal serving the salad just looked like she'd been crying. Remember when you walked into the hall and you just loved on her by sharing your story? That was an epic day in ministry. And I think sometimes we get it wrong. I think that we forget God's not impressed with the crowd. He is deeply in love with the individual and that's the way we should be too. And so that's my first things. I would say never, ever despise the small things because I think it's in those small things that we really serve God really well and they matter more than what we know. But when we get to heaven, we're going to see how much those small things really, really matter. And the other thing I would say is that I definitely didn't have a life plan to write all these books. You know, I've written 25 books, but where my books come from are from my own issues and struggles and problems. And so I'm never impressed with my knowledge. I'm just hyper aware of my issues. And I write because I know that God wants to address things with me. And so I don't write for my point of strength. I think my strength intimidates people, but I think my struggles and my honesty and vulnerability in the midst of my struggle, that's what helps inspire people that God can do this for them too. Mm. Um, I, I like what you said there. I once heard Chuck Swindoll say ministry is more of the mundane than the magnificent. <laughs> In other words, it's it's mostly just mundane everyday things instead of these huge moments. And you know, the older I've gotten, I've come to realize that that there are those moments, right? Like a camp meeting kind of feel or a 
you know, revival feel or like that one conference speaker that really speaks to you, but really it's the kind of daily rhythms over a lifetime that form us. Right. So I appreciate that. And you, you obviously are, you know, mentoring in the next generation of leaders. And it seems like there's more pressure today just with social media, with the opportunities that are before us. So it's, it's much easier to publish, much easier to, you know, to start down that journey. And so I guess what is a piece of advice you give to writers to really develop their voice and to see what they're doing as a, as a calling and as a ministry? One piece of advice that I would give to writers is start where your reader is at. Remember, you're not writing to a crowd of people. You're writing to an individual. It's a very intimate experience when, you know, a reader picks up a book. They want to feel more than being informed or taught or preached at. They want to be understood. And so when you think about writing, write to that one person and start where they are. And that is start with their pain. Too many times, I think, as writers, we start with where we want to take people, but people get discouraged because if they don't feel understood, if they don't feel like the author themselves has known the depth of their pain, then they feel like they're so far behind, they'll never get to where the author wants to take them. And that's re- that was really especially important to me in my new book, Forgiving What You Can't Forget. Um, I knew I couldn't come out swinging and just demand that people forgive because it's what God says to do. I couldn't start there. And so I certainly didn't want to do that to my reader. So I started with my own pain, my own skepticism, my own resistance. And really for the first three chapters of the book, I acknowledged that forgiveness is important and it's where we go. But I really wanted to deal with my struggle with forgiveness first. Mm, mm, that's really good. And I want to segue into that. You know, one thing I've really enjoyed about your work, Lisa, is you have been very open and vulnerable about your own personal journey and struggles. You know, as someone who is a public figure, New York Times bestselling author, leader of a big ministry, you've kind of opened a window into your life. Has that been hard to do? I mean, what is going through your mind as you're thinking about kind of sharing, obviously some pain that you have suffered and some struggles that you have had publicly. Well, I think, you know, for me, I know there's a big difference between privacy and secrecy. And um, I am a very private person, but I'm not a very secret person. And what I mean by that is secrets are when we hide things for the purpose of keeping them undercover. But you, you know, when you do that, it perpetuates what stays in the dark, stays in the dark, you know, but it's only when we bring things out into the light that God can let us see the fullness of his power. And that's when we can share a testimony too with other people. I think that's really important to remember. Privacy is holding things, some things, um, private for the sake of healing, not hiding. And so I think people would be surprised to know I'm a very private person, but I'm also a very transparent person. Every person has their own threshold for vulnerability. And um, I just encourage everyone to recognize that we are all hurting humans and we all benefit from the safety of knowing that other people struggle too. 
Uh, that's that's really good. Uh, so you shared very publicly um, in your last book before this one about forgiveness, just about some deep pain and suffering you've gone through in your marriage. Essentially, the idea is that uh, this is not how you envision things going. You're right. Like it's not supposed to be this way, I think is the title. I think that really resonated with people, particularly Christians who, um, you know, you have an idealized version of what your life is going to be in Christ. You know, I, I, I grew up in the church, grateful for that, for what my parents gave me. And you kind of have this idea that you've got such a good start and good foundation that everything's going to be, you have a good Christian marriage, everything's going to, there's not, you're not going to face any troubles or hardships or difficulties. And I think by opening a window into your own life, you kind of help people process their own pain, right? Yeah. You know, I never wanted to live this story. So I certainly never wanted to have the story to tell. Um, But I did find out my husband was being unfaithful. He was struggling with some addictions and, that wasn't an excuse. It was just it all kind of swirled out of control together. And, and I remember thinking that I kept attributing the reason that these things were happening to other things like, well, our kids are growing up. And so he's just going through trouble transitioning or our kids are going to college. So he's just having a hard time with that. Or now our kids are getting married. And so he's having a hard time with that. And I think my brain just my, my discernment was firing something was wrong, but my brain kept overriding it because I really felt like we had done all the things to protect our marriage from this happening. And so I just couldn't go there in my brain and consider that that may be the reason why things were off and things were mysteriously um, chaotic and and things weren't making sense. But when I did find out that he was being unfaithful, it really shattered my heart beyond what I could even describe. And so it started me on this journey of trying to figure out, is it possible to live a redemption story with God, even when life hands you things that are so unexpected. And when you feel like your life is turned upside down and when someone you love is making choices opposite from what you thought they would do. And it can feel so out of control when you want your marriage to move forward in this way, but when your partner checks out and walks away and it just feels like, oh my gosh, they just took the marriage, the legacy, and this great story that I thought we were going to live with God. And so I had to figure out, is it possible to live a redemption story, even if reconciliation doesn't happen? And what's that? I mean, you're you're walking through that, like, you know, your last book is just, you know, this is not how we, I envisioned life and ministry and all this to work out. We would all, we would both affirm academically and on paper that yes, Christians are going to go through suffering. Things are going to be messy. God has not promised us this unending life of prosperity, no problems. We all agree with that. But yet when that comes, we still feel like, wait a minute, this is, this is not fair. This is not right. This is not how things are supposed to work out. And, but especially I think when you are in a prominent position as a Christian, right? I mean, it's, it's, this kind of pain that you endured is hard and difficult for any kind of Christian. You know, the people in our churches that are 
having struggling marriages and all that. But it seems like when you're in a prominent leadership Christian position, people assume that you've got it all figured out. You know, so how how is that thing like? And you're probably thinking, how can I lead ministry? How can I do this? You know, so maybe talk about those pressures a little bit. Well, the pressure was enormous because, again, it's very, very hard to have the weight of public opinion brought into your very private pain. And I think for me, that was the hardest part is that people, when they don't know the whole story, they they want to fill in gaps with their own assumptions. And those assumptions were excruciatingly painful for me. You know, and I, I did, I did grieve over the thought of potentially losing the ministry, but my bigger focus was, I was just devastated at the thought of losing my marriage. So I actually hit the pause button on ministry and I went on this journey of healing where I didn't try to keep leading and keep pressing on in ministry. I just said, I need a sabbatical. My board gave it to me and, um, and I did a lot of, of work to heal my heart. I, I actually traveled. One of my things that I did was, um, I traveled to Nashville. I have good friends in Nashville and I just went and stayed at different people's houses and I let them speak life over me. I let them remind me of why they were staying faithful, even in the midst of their hard situations. Sometimes when I think when faith gets shaky and it wasn't that I was losing faith, it's just, I I knew God knew what was going on with my husband And in my best estimation, I felt like he didn't stop it. And so in some way, I I felt a little bit betrayed by God too. And so it was so important for me to run toward my friends of faith and just say, hey, I may need to stand on your faith for a little bit. I I may need Mm -hmm. to just listen to you sing the praise songs. And I I need you to tell me the stories of God's faithfulness. I need you to tell me your stories of when God walked you through a season where you didn't understand what he was allowing, but he got you to the other side. Remind me, I was just desperate for that. And I also went to counseling and that was really important too. It's so good to hear you say both of those things. One, that you lived off the faith of your other friends. Like this is why we need spiritual community, whether it's our local church, whether it's a network of friends that are with us, that at times we are weak and we need the strong faith of others. And that like, it's okay to be in that position. You don't have to be the strong one uh, all the time. And sometimes you'll be the strong one for someone else. But also to say that you needed to go to counseling. That really helped walk you through it. Well, before we continue our conversation, I want to just encourage you to uh, check out our friends at Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling has generously sponsored this episode of the Way Home Podcast. And one of the reasons I was excited to partner with them is because I believe so much in the value of good biblical counseling. In the last few years, I've really noticed the importance of counseling, both as a pastor who has to care for people at times, as a husband, as a father, as a friend. There's just times when all of us need to sit down and talk with someone who is skilled at kind of 
peeling back through the layers of our lives, both the spiritual and the physical and the places where we need clinical diagnosis and we need a, a, a biblical word from God. And sometimes those are, are kind of marbled in together in complex ways that we can't totally understand that someone outside of us can help us do that. I believe this is a really important thing. A lot of times we're afraid to go to counseling. There's a stigma that I don't want to be known as the kind of person who would need to get help. And really we, sh we shouldn't think that way because all of us uh, are fallen or broken, have needs that someone else that God uh, gifts in a certain way can help with. What's great about the model of faithful counseling is that it's completely confidential and it's completely online. And so if, if you're like me and the kind of the stigma of getting up and going and talking to someone is, is a little bit too much of getting in your car and going to an office or a church, you can do this from the privacy of your home. You fill out a, an intake process and they match you up with a counselor that's suited to your needs. And if you happen to get a counselor that is just not working for you, you can easily exchange them at no cost. You have access to your counselor through text, through email, and other ways if you have a crisis in between sessions. So I want to encourage you to visit faithfulcounseling.com slash wayhome. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash wayhome. And you will get a 10% discount off your first month's membership, which is which is a really fantastic deal. So visit faithfulcounseling.com slash way home and get a 10% discount off your first membership. I really want to encourage you, uh, if you are listening, feel depressed, you have anxiety, or maybe you have some thorny relational issues in your family or at work or other places to go seek some help with our friends at Faithful Counseling dot com slash way home. I want to pivot a little bit to your current book about forgiveness, forgiving when you when you can't forget. And I, I love the title, Lisa, because one of the things I think is such a persistent misunderstanding about forgiveness, we have this idea about forgiving and forgetting that forgiveness means I don't remember it. And I think about this in the context of Joseph. Joseph forgave his brothers, but none of us think he actually forgot being thrown into a pit and being sold. Like, like, you know, I, I doubt it 20 years in when someone asked him about it, he was like, what? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, so please talk about our misunderstandings about forgiveness and how we can, how we can really see the difference between forgiving and forgetting. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. A lot of people um, would say, well, the reason I can't forgive is because I can't forget. And so I decided to take a lot of these misconceptions and do a thousand hours of study in the Bible on what the Bible actually says and does not say about forgiveness. And it never says that humans are able to forgive and forget. It does say we leave the past behind and strain toward what is ahead. It does say that God can take our sins to the depth of the sea and remember them no more. But forgiveness and forgetting are not tied together. And another one that people would say is, well, in order to forgive, I have to um, know that reconciliation will be an immediate outcome of that forgiveness. Well, 
the command by God to forgive is meant for every offense that we ever experience. But reconciliation is very dependent on a whole lot of um, principles and, and things that we determine whether or not we're safe, it's reasonable, if it's possible. You know, sometimes reconciliation is not possible. It's not safe. It's not reasonable. And you can forgive and not reconcile and still be absolutely, absolutely obedient to God. I think that's really important. But probably the biggest thing that I had to untangle was the fact that I used to think I could forgive if the other person fully owned what they did, said they were sorry, and swore to never do it again. But that doesn't always happen. You know, sometimes people are not willing to say they're sorry. They're not willing to own what they did. They won't admit they're wrong. So therefore, they can't possibly commit to never doing this again, right? So it was so important for me to detach my ability to heal and move forward from the other person's choices they may or may not ever make. I used to think I can't heal and move forward until they own what they did, say they'll never do it again, and say that they were sorry. So I had to sever that source of suffering through the power of forgiveness and make forgiveness one of the first steps I took toward healing, not waiting around for the other person to do something they may never do. Yeah, that's that's really good. And, and I maybe talk about separating different concepts. So there's forgiveness, there's reconciliation, there's trust. Those are not synonymous, right? So someone can forgive somebody and release the burden from their shoulders onto the Lord's for the Lord to do his work, pursue reconciliation, ideally, right? And in, in, in your situation, that was able to happen, which is wonderful. But that's not always possible, right? Because it takes two people to reconcile uh, and trust. You know, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean we trust people right away. So maybe maybe kind of walk through those concepts a little bit for us. Absolutely. I, th- I think we mash them together a little bit and sometimes force onto people a level of trust and reconciliation that isn't possible, yet, you know, and confusing that with forgiveness. Yeah, so that's why it's so important that we understand that forgiveness is both a decision and a process. We make the decision to forgive for the facts of what happened. And that actually helps start our healing process. So, and when I do that, you know, I start with my pain. I list out all the things that, all the facts of what happened, all the reasons that I'm in so much pain. As I write out all the things that caused me so much pain with this, then I can go line by line by line, I forgive for the facts of what happened. And I always add this. So I forgive this person for this fact and whatever my feelings will not yet allow for, the blood of Jesus will surely cover it. So that's my script. That's how I have a marked moment of forgiveness. But forgiveness is not just a decision. It's also a process. And it's in that process that we watch to see if reconciliation is possible. It's in that process that we start to understand trust is built time plus believable behavior. And just because we forgive somebody does not mean that all the trauma is immediately healed. Mm. We have to go through the process of assessing the impact that this had on us. Every trauma is a fact and an impact. And we have to 
not only make the decision to forgive for the facts, but then we walk through the much longer process then of forgiving for the impact that this had on us, but the impact leaks into our life over time. And so that healing process is crucial. And I think sometimes where we get it wrong with forgiveness is we say, well, once you forgave, then you no longer can walk through the process of healing. You have to instantly trust, instantly reconcile, instantly pretend like what they did was no big deal. But we know inside of our heart, it was a very big deal. So that's the that's really what I bring to the table with this book, Forgiving What You Can't Forget, is giving people permission. You can make the decision to forgive and walk through the process of forgiveness. The decision is a moment in time. The process may leak into your life over a lifetime. Mm, mm, that's really good. I, I also think you talk about this, but naming what happened to you is okay. I think of Joseph saying, you know, years later, what you intended for evil, God meant for good. Joseph, I, you know, he looks his brothers in the eyes and said, yeah, what, what you did was meant for evil. He didn't sugarcoat the hurt that right. occurred to him. I think sometimes we think forgiveness means brushing things off deep, real hurts. But that's not really the pathway to forgiveness, is it? That's right. And I think it's really important to write down and it's not for the sake of holding it over another person's head, but it's for the sake of acknowledging what we've been through. And I even had another person bear witness to my pain and and say to me, I believe you. Like what happened to you was hard. It wasn't the person that hurt me. It was my counselor. And that was such a gift. And so I want to do that today for a listener. I want to say, you know, the pain that you have experienced, it's real. I believe you. And, and if no one else in this world has ever dared to say this to you, I'll say it to you. I am so sorry for how you were hurt. I am so sorry that they said what they said and did what they did and didn't do what they should have done. I am so, so sorry. But friend, let me tell you, I fully believe you deserve to stop suffering because of what another person has done to you. And the only way to sever that source of suffering is through the power of forgiveness. Mm, That's really good. A couple more questions, and I know you've been gracious with your time. Forgiveness, you mentioned, is a process, and it makes me think of Jesus telling Peter to forgive 70 times seven. You know, when I used to read that verse early on, I just thought he's just telling him to keep forgiving the same person in his life over and over again. And sometimes I think that's true. But it occurred to me when I went through a really difficult situation several years ago that for me it was the same hurt, but it kept coming back in my mind, right? You keep reliving the same hurt and it you think you're over it and then you have a day where you're like, man, I'm not over it. Um, and the 70 times seven really kind of a, meant more to me at that point. Is that kind of how you take it? That we just, it, it keeps coming back the same hurt and we got to keep, okay, got to draw on that well of forgiveness from Christ. Yeah, it could be allowing space for forgiveness to occur over time and walking through the process of emotional healing. And every time you remember it, you, you need to, you know, forgive it again. You know, it, it could be that, or it could be, Jesus saying, put enough emotional and physical distance in place 
that if that person never changes, you aren't allowing them to beat you up emotionally or tear you down spiritually. You create enough distance where you can forgive them 70 times seven without them destroying you or, you know, destroying your emotional, um, health. And so I think it could be both, but it was really important to me when I wrote forgiving what you can't forget that there was a a big section on boundaries there. And again, boundaries aren't to shove another person away. It's to help hold me together. And so if you keep hurting me and keep saying things that are devastating to me, then I need to put some boundaries in place where I can forgive you 70 times seven if you don't change without destroying my emotional and mental health. That's such a great point. I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I often use when I'm talking to people the the idea of a like a let's say a church treasure, right? If if a church treasure takes money from the church, we all forgive him. We probably put boundaries in place so he can't do that again. That's right. And boundaries are not a sign of unforgiveness. Boundaries are the way to preserve the relationship without just having to fully walk away, but also protect yourself so that you don't just open up the treasury to the treasurer who is stealing money, right? Right. That's not a good thing to do for him. And it's not a good thing to do for the church. And it'll drive you nuts because it's so hard to understand that some people are not willing to change yet. And until they change, it's foolishness to allow that person access to hurt you over and over and over again. So last question, obviously you've been very upfront and vulnerable with uh, your personal pain here and particularly in your marriage. Since you wrote your last book and this book, I'm curious the response you've had from women around the country that you've now been able to help uh, through struggling marriages and maybe give some hope. Has there been a, a big response? Has you kind of opening yourself up this way as a Christian leader, you know, given you opportunity for more ministry? Absolutely. I, I wish I could tell you no. I, w- I wish that I could tell you no. There's not very many hurting marriages out there. So it's a very small ministry, but unfortunately, it's massive. I was telling a friend the other day. I have so many direct messages through my Instagram account. I I can only go there uh, every couple of days and I can really only write back to one or two people. And so it makes me feel sometimes like I'm trying to empty an ocean a teaspoon at a time. I think the enemy is on an all out assault against the family. And I think marriages are really, really in his target right now. But what I do know is that forgiveness is what the enemy wants to keep us away from because forgiveness is the secret to healing and to walking forward in a redemption story with God, no matter if your marriage is saved or not. But the only hope that we have to deliver a death blow to the enemy in a situation where he's attacking relentlessly is when we stop fighting against one another and start realizing we have an enemy, but it's not one another. And when we forgive one another, we can turn our sights on going after the real enemy of our souls. Well, Lisa Turkhurst, thank you for joining me today on the Way Home podcast. Grateful for your ministry and your writing and your vulnerability. And I know a lot of people uh, are being 
really minister to uh, through what you are doing. And so I want to just encourage folks to go get this book, Forgiving When You Can't Forget. Uh, it's available uh, wherever books are sold. We'll have a link in our show notes. But thank you for joining me today, Lisa. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be with you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at, at @dandarling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters. Thank you.